so Paul, do you? Uh, I wonder. Uh, we've already talked about this, where you're like, "Hey, look, I'm going to follow reason where it goes." Um, isn't like the Catholic teaching that like Thomas was right and you should be like a hylomorphist? What, what do you What do you think about that? Hey, welcome back to another episode of Parker's Pensies. I'm your host, Parker Setacase. And this is a podcast where we explore all the deepest ideas in philosophy, theology, nature, and life. I love thinking about cool stuff, so come think with me. Today's episode is another special episode I have with me, Dr. Paul Herrick. And uh, we're going to be talking about his book, Philosophy, Reason, Belief, and Faith, which is, uh, I don't know, equal parts, a intro to philosophy book, as well as a philosophy of religion book, and like a cumulative case argument for God. It's really cool. I'll let Paul... Um, I'll let, uh, I'll let him describe it uh, a little bit more for you here. Before we do that, though, I want to thank everyone who's making this podcast happen. Everyone who's supporting it over on Patreon, you guys are awesome. Seriously appreciate you guys. Um, if you have benefited from this podcast, if it's your top five favorite, top 10 favorite, please consider becoming a Patreon patron. I'd love to do this full time. I'd love to dedicate all my time to giving you guys awesome episodes uh, in philosophy, theology, nature, and life. Another way you can support the podcast is right over here. There's a super thanks button and you can click that and give a one-time gift. Uh, if you like this episode or other episodes, uh, please do that. And that would, that would also be another huge support for me. Um, we have some new stuff going on. We have the uh, Parker's Pensies Pontsiers Facebook group where we're having conversations over there, but we also just added a discord server. So there's the Parker's Pensies discord server i think you can probably find that link in the description i'll drop that um and you can come talk with us we're having some fun conversations over there lots of good memes all sorts of good stuff um yeah so those are some ways you can support if you're listening on spotify now that they have uh ways for you to rank the show too please leave me a five star on spotify if you're listening to apple Podcasts. You guys forgot about the comments and stuff. I need those. Please give me a five-star rating and a comment. It helps the algorithm think this is a good show. All right. Well, without further ado, let's bring in Paul Herrick. And again, the book is Philosophy, Reason, Belief, and Faith, an Introduction. And that's uh, Notre Dame Press. So, Paul, thanks so much for coming on the podcast, man. Thank you for having me, Parker. Yeah, so we we got in touch through a mutual acquaintance and mutual friend, uh, Jim Slagle. And uh, for those listening, uh, Slagle is awesome. He's the epistemological skyhook guy, the uh, evolutionary argument against naturalism guy. Go check out the the previous episodes with him there. Um, so I'm I'm really I'm I'm really glad, Paul. Thanks for sending me this book. Um, how about a little bit about you? Where uh, where did you do your PhD, and and what was that on? Uh, I did my graduate work at the University of Washington in Seattle. And I did my dissertation under Bob Coburn. And my dissertation was on John Rawls's theory of justice. Mm, awesome. Why, why, uh, why'd you pick that? Why, why, uh, why did that interest you, I guess? Hmm. Well, Coburn was this, was this marvelous, wonderful human being and a mentor to me. And, and, uh, uh, also uh, a, a, a theistic philosopher hmm. of the apophatic kind. Okay. And uh, I just admired him so much. And Rawls was one of his central uh, influences. And I was fascinated with political theory. Hmm. And I think through through Coburn, I got turned on to Rawls's political philosophy and Nozick's 
uh, yeah. competing philosophy and focused on political theory in my dissertation. But at the same time, I was wrapped up in a lot of uh, analytic philosophy of religion as well. And uh, Co uh, Coburn was friends with uh, Planaga, and I got to meet Planaga through Coburn. Nice. I really admired Planaga, and his work was hugely influential, as was Richard Swinburne's when yeah. I was a grad student. Awesome. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, be between the two, I guess, uh, this is a tough, a tough question, but would you think you would side more with, with Planaga than with Swinburne? Well, I... I side with Planning on the ontological argument. I've okay. defended it many times, uh, but I, I'm more with Swinburne on building a cumulative case for theism hmm. uh, based on multiple arguments wound, woven together like the strands of a of a rope yeah. for theism. I think a rational case can be made for belief in God, the soul, free will, and uh, objective morality rooted in God's eternal nature. Okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah I can see how the two go together, especially, um, yeah, given, um, like planning us, uh, modal ontological argument, you need to establish that possibly God exists. And then once you get there, then the whole argument goes. So maybe you can use a cumulative case like a Swinburne type in order to show that first premise of the modal argument. Yeah. Yes. Yes, you could. So I'm not a reformed epistemologist. I'm, Okay. I'm more of a classical foundationalist. Cool. <clears throat> nice. Well, so Paul, you got this book here, Philosophy, Reason, Belief, and Faith. Um, and I, the way I'm seeing it, you know, I read a, a review of it too um, that, that you sent over. It, it looks like an intro to philosophy book, which is uh, pitched from a, a theistic perspective that also functions as a cumulative case uh, for theism. Does that sound right? Yes, uh, it's very perceptive. Um, it's also a, a Socratic introduction mm. to philosophy because throughout the book, I raise Socratic questions and let students answer them on their own. Okay. Um, but yes, it's a theistic leaning textbook, but it's also traditional because I, I point out in the uh, introduction to the instructor that theism has belief in God has been the mainstream in philosophy since the very beginning. Thales was a theist. The next two philosophers were theists. Most of the ancient Greek philosophers were theists. The atomists were an exception, but theism has been the mainstream. Uh, even Hume was a theist. If you read his dialogues to the end, when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Uh, it's it's been mainstream since uh, Thales in the sixth century BC, and uh, I'm not going to apologize or express regrets for having a theistic leaning book. It's uh, in line with Socrates, Plato, Aristotle, and so on down the line. Yeah, uh, <clears throat> yeah. Well, and I, I like that too because I've um, I study philosophy of religion, and yeah. sometimes I've been uh, kind of bashful about that, but. The more and more I listen, even to guys like Ram Oppie, the more I'm like, well, no, philosophy of religion is very, very important in philosophy. 
like whether God exists or not, I, I, I don't need to be, a, I don't need to feel like I'm a, a backseat, you know, guy or anything like this is a, a, a great study. It's a, it's really good. And like you said, it's been central. Uh, it's been one of the central questions of philosophy from the beginning. Yes. And, and uh, a, a mark of how important the question, does God exist is when I was a young man, I began doubting my religious beliefs. I was raised Catholic. And in my early 20s, I began doubting my religious beliefs, starting with the question, why, why should I believe in God? What, what reason is there to believe in God? <clears throat> and when I started doubting God's existence, everything else started to fall into doubt. Hmm. I started doubting my political beliefs. Uh, all my worldview beliefs started to started to uh, bother me and started to, I, I, I fell into this huge existential confusion. So uh, over time, I learned that the existence of God was central to my worldview and central to beliefs about people, about morality, about the objective truth. I think the question, does God exist, is perhaps the most important question in philosophy. Yeah. No, I think you're right. Um, I think you're absolutely right. Paul, what do you think the second most important question is in philosophy? How should I live? Mm. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. I thought maybe I could get, get you on your toes there or on your heels. Um, uh, that's good. You got it right away. Um, how about how about a, a definition of philosophy? Um, I think that a lot of – so I, I have a lot of Christian philosopher friends. And less uh, non-Christian philosopher friends, but still, still a significant amount. And the, in the Christian community, it's it's almost like impious to say anything other than philosophy is the love of of wisdom. And that's fine, you know. I, I hear a lot of them say it, but you know, as I'm studying analytic philosophy a little bit more and seeing the divide between them and the continentals, mm-hmm. I do think there's a strong divide. And I do think it's it's weird to try and. <laughs> capture everyone in that in that definition and i was just wondering you know maybe you like that definition we could talk about that but what what is philosophy well i i define it pretty standardly as the attempt to answer the most fundamental questions of all on the basis of unaided reason and observation alone Hmm. unaided reason that's that's how the greeks understood it um in my book i I give a brief definition of what a fundamental question is. Fundamental questions are those that uh, have to be answered before we answer all other questions. Questions like, does God exist or Mm. not? Um, What is truth and how do we know it? What is social justice? Um, do we have immaterial souls that live on after the body dies? Mm-hmm. These are fundamental questions. And philosophies attempt to answer them not on the basis of, of uh, authorities telling us what to believe or blind faith. Mm-hmm. It's the attempt to answer them using our cognitive abilities, our natural cognitive abilities, reason, observation, and perhaps more. <clears throat> yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, this is something else I've been wrestling with. Uh, so I, I got... Um, I got two master's degrees in theology, and then I moved over to philosophy, and I'm working on one of those, and Lord willing, I'll, I'll go on uh, to do a PhD in philosophy. And so I have a yeah. bunch of different Parkers in my head, <laughs> and some yeah, just all over the place. And, I, and I'm constantly wrestling with the question of 
like special rev- revelation in in philosophy like um you you mentioned observation and, and unaided reason um would you would you call yourself a christian philosopher and if so is that because you happen to have christian beliefs or is it because you do philosophy in a particularly christian way does that does that question make sense that's a good question i do call myself a christian philosopher okay. um i i doubted my faith for several years back in my early 20s right. and that's what led me to start studying philosophy because philosophy i, I discovered um seeks is, is in people seeking to answer questions that were troubling me but i found my way back to my catholic faith or the christian faith in general by reasoning it out hmm. um i I believe that there are good reasons to take the Bible as a work of history, as, as historically reliable. And I, I, I agree with Swinburne and a lot of other major philosophers at major universities that the historical facts surrounding the life of Jesus Christ cannot be explained in any other way than with the Christian doctrine. Mm-hmm that the Christian doctrine makes the best sense of the facts by far. And I was very influenced by some of Swinburne's writings on this, including his resurrection of God incarnate and uh, books like that. Yeah. But, you know, um, uh, Gary Habermas is a philosopher. I think he's a fine philosopher. He's written deep material on this. I think there's a, uh, I, I think our, that the Christian faith is reasonable. I think that it uh, stands the test of reason. So mm-hmm. I'm a philosopher who's a Christian. I don't do philosophy in an especially Christian way. Okay. I do philosophy as philosophers have always done it since the Greeks by reasoning about fundamental issues. But yeah. I do think reason points to this is, uh, if I may dig- digress a moment. Please. This, yeah, digress this Thank you. This is where faith enters the picture in my in my interpretation. And this comes out in chapter six of my book. I believe I don't believe that reason proves God's existence the way it proves that the square root of two is irrational. Okay. I believe that reason, when we follow it carefully and sincerely, points us to God's existence. And uh, I don't think it proves it with the certainty of mathematics. I think it points us in the direction of God. And I say in chapter, I, I hint in chapter six, perhaps reason doesn't take us all the way to God. Perhaps reason, when we follow it sincerely and deeply, uh, takes us to a point where it says, uh, it, where it points us towards God and then says, this is as far as I can take you. The next step is yours. And perhaps I say, perhaps the next step is faith. Yeah. An act of will, but an act guided by reason, mm-hmm. an act uh, motivated by reason. So I, I think re, uh, faith can be reasonable in that sense. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. So it's it's not it's not um lim- it's not that reason's taking you like to the edge of a boardwalk and you have to jump off, but it's like 
I'm trying to think of a better analogy. Like it's, it's no, that's a good analogy. Oh, that, okay. That reminds me of Kierkegaard and of course, yeah, that's, that's what I was thinking, but, right? Yeah. It's not that reason takes us to a brink and then from there, it's just, you can turn any direction you want. I, I use the word points. I think reason points us to God, hmm. to a supreme being of such majesty that it's just beyond comprehension. Yeah. But it points us in a direction and then bids us to take the next step. Okay. Which um, I think is faith. Yeah. Do you do you think that um that's like a necessity? Like there's something about the nature of reason such that it could never bring us to God? Or do you think God set this up in a way to uh not to sound like Kant, but make room for faith? Well, that's a good question. Uh I I I'm not sure if this answers the question, but your sure. question makes me think of this idea that goes back to J.N. Findlay, the Plato's, the Platonist scholar. Um, I think we have a natural built-in inclination to want to worship God. Mm. And I think that when reason takes us to the brink, to the edge, to as far as it can take us, I think a reasonable person who says, yes, there there must be a God. Nothing else makes sense. Mm -hmm. There must be a supreme being who created us for a purpose, who created me for a purpose. I think we have a natural inclination then to want to worship that being. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Well, so, um, Paul, when g getting back to the like Christian philosopher type uh, uh, nomenclature, I guess, is is there some is, are there any things that are off limits for Christian philosophers to think about? Sometimes I um again, man, maybe I've been too influenced by Kant, but I think of Kant's uh you know what is enlightenment, and he's he's talking about nonage and stuff, and he's criticizing those. He's saying those who uh, hold to creeds and confessions are not enlightened because they're not thinking for themselves. And I wonder, just as as a Christian philosopher, and maybe even as a Catholic uh, philosopher in particular. Are there certain doctrines um, where you're like not allowed to go to? You're not allowed to say a question, maybe, I guess. Well, I would personally say no. Okay. I'm with Socrates. Uh, mm. uh, I think that we should think about reason about everything, uh, yeah. whether scripture is infallible or fallible, whether uh, the problem of evil, yeah. uh, whether we should accept this church doctrine or that church doctrine. I I think reason has to play a role. Yeah, I, I know not all Christians will agree with me, but right. yes, I'm I'm a rationalist and a strong rationalist in that sense. Okay, I'm okay. not afraid to debate things. I have a friend of my a friend, a philosophical friend who argues that it's highly improbable that Jesus ever existed. Mm -hmm. And years ago, our discussions used to be heated, but. But they're no longer heated. I'm I'm happy to debate that question. Let's let's get into the historical sources. Yeah, I think it doesn't hurt to, to debate it if you debate it with reason and and sincerity. Yeah, that's 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 cool. That's really cool to hear. Um, in the book, you go over um, like design arguments and and cosmological arguments. And just wanted to get your opinion on those. Like, do do you think um, when when you're building a case for theism, is one more important? Is one more powerful? Uh, one family, I guess, because there's a lot of different design. There's a lot of different cosmological you can mm -hmm. go with. Mm -hmm. Do do you prioritize one more than the other? 
That's a good question. Uh, there's a there's the pedagogical standpoint, and then there's the philosophical standpoint. Oh yeah. From a, from a pedagogical standpoint, I have found over forty years of teaching philosophy that uh, forty two years, if you want to be exact. Okay. Well, we uh, are ana- yeah analytic philosophers. So you gotta be precise. Better, yeah, yeah. Um, we, I, I believe the the design argument appeals to students best, and it 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 captures their thought better than the cosmological argument, okay. definitely far better than the ontological argument. Hmm. So in my book, I, I started the discussion with the teleological or design argument. It really appeals to students. And yeah. uh, I started with Socrates. You know, Socrates is the first person in the historical record to, to give a detailed argument from design. And I have found that students love Socrates when they get to know his know something about his life and his yeah. uh, integrity. He's a very appealing, marvelous figure in history of philosophy. In some ways, he's my favorite philosopher. Hmm. Um, maybe Plato is. <laughs> I don't know. I love both of those two characters, but he's a very attractive philosopher and I start my design argument with Socrates's thoughts on design. Hmm. He gave a very profound design argument. Uh, but as a philosopher, I prefer the cosmological argument. Hmm. And as a logician who's uh, in love with modal logic, especially S5 modal logic, uh, yeah. I, I love the ontological argument. And I, I find the ontolo- ontological argument powerful. Hmm. I think it can be defended, but but the cosmological, I think, for philosophers may be more appealing. I I think Aquinas's third way, supplemented with modal logic, is maybe the most powerful argument for God's existence. Yeah. But for students, I think we start with the design argument, and then we can go to the cosmological. Okay. And then uh, in my book, I, if I may, I uh, I combine the two at the end of chapter six and point out that if we use Occam's razor carefully, um, the the two arguments kind of wrap together to form an argument, a cumulative argument for one supreme being or deity who is both the cause, the first cause of the universe and the designer. Yeah, There's a being beyond space and time who gave the universe its existence and its order. And that's certainly simpler than supposing there are two deities, one the designer and one the creator. Yeah. Well, what about, um, so I I didn't see the ontological argument in here. And is that uh, because the intro book or? Yes, because it's an intro book. I, and because of space considerations, I left it out. Yeah. Yeah. I uh, also, when I teach the ontological argument in class, students, it's, it, it doesn't go over well. <laughs> either it lose, either you get into the weeds of S5 modal logic sure. and you lose, lose a lot of the class or it's, it just sends them into a spiral. I've, I've found that pedagogically, at least at the intro level, the ontological argument doesn't work very well. Yeah. You know? Yeah. What, what do you make of, um, so there's like uh, planning as a uh, uh, modal ontological argument mm-hmm. and that just starts from the premise, you know, possibly God exists mm-hmm. or, uh, uh, what is what is planning to say? Um, 
not perfect being a uh, maximally excellent. Yeah. 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 There we go. Mm -hmm. Um, So then now there's like this reverse ontological argument where they say, well, Hey, look, possibly that maximal being doesn't exist. And there's kind of like this stalemate between like a naturalist or an atheist and, and a theist. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's like this symmetry that needs to be broken. Any, any thoughts on like how we can break that and get, get away from, get, get past the, uh, the stalemate there at the beginning. Oh, you're referring to Graham Oppie's work and people inspired by him. Yeah. Well, that's a really difficult question. (laughs) You know, I defended the uh, ontological argument in my logic book, the last chapter of Introduction to Logic. I I gave an S5 defense of it. Um, uh, That is such a difficult question. My, My intuitions, my modal intuitions the same intuitions that tell me that S5 is the best explanation of modality in general tell me that there's a possible world containing a maximally excellent being. Mm 